The scripture says in the book of Luke, I believe it is chapter 16, where it says the law and the prophets were until John, but since that time the kingdom of God is preached. When John the Baptist appeared on the scene, Matthew 3, 2, his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After Jesus was water baptized and went through the temptation in the wilderness, he began to preach the same thing, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostle Paul at the end of his life spent a couple of years in a borrowed house and his message as he received people was preaching the kingdom of God. From those passages and many others, we get the idea the message of the day is the kingdom of God. Scripture reveals how important it is to understand and to be a part of something that God is doing which transcends all of us. You know, the kingdom of God is bigger than any church denomination. The kingdom of God is bigger than any local congregation. The vision for the kingdom of God transcends everything that God desires and He's involved. Does that. Alright? So when we talk about preaching the message of the kingdom, folks, that's a big deal. As we often say around here, it's not about us. It's all about Him and what He desires. But you know, for us to fully cooperate with God and understand the kingdom, preach the kingdom, live the kingdom, then we must have our mind renewed to think correctly. So today I want to look at briefly our worldview that must change that will enable us to understand and participate with Him in the kingdom. Now, what is the worldview? A worldview is simply basic assumptions that we've made about reality. That's what a worldview is. It's just basic assumptions that we've made about what is real. What is real? You know, we have a lot of things around us. We have a lot of things that are seen and some that are unseen. But what is really real? Your worldview affects every area in your life. For example, it affects your religion or relationship with God. It affects your politics. It affects your social life. It affects your economic or financial life. It affects your family. It affects your church. It affects your prayer life. It affects everything. goes back to your worldview. What you believe to be reality. We are never going to fully understand nor experience what the kingdom of God is all about until we start thinking right. That's why Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God. If we are ever to see the fullest expression of the kingdom of God, we must think the way that we are now thinking. It affects whether or not you're liberal or conservative politically. Your worldview affects whether or not you're pro-choice 
are pro-death. Or pro-life. Your worldview affects all of that. Now, there are two basic divisions in a worldview. Now, under each one of them, we could add many, many subgroups. But I'm just going to talk broadly about the two basic groups. One group we call materialistic. It's a materialistic worldview. That is, people that hold these views are people that say, I have to feel it. I have to hear it, see it, smell it, touch it, taste it. And if I can't test it like that, it's not real. Sad to report, that idea has invaded the church world, particularly in America. If we cannot scientifically test it, taste it, touch it, see it, hear it, then it's not real. And as a result of that, you know what? God's kingdom is involved in the natural, but it supersedes the natural. If we can only believe God and His kingdom by the things we can know with the five senses, we're only going to understand a small portion of the kingdom of God. Much of the kingdom of God is going to be available, but we'll not enter into it because we've limited our comprehension of it to what the five senses can tell us. There's another group that we call spiritualistic. These are people that believe... No, the kingdom of God is not limited to the five senses, but the kingdom of God is involved with spirits of all types. People that believe this believe that good and bad spirits interfere or they control the natural realm. They see everything as as not material, but as spirit of some type out there. Now, there are lots of countries where this is the predominant view. In Latin America, in Africa, in parts of Asia, uh, in other places, uh, they believe more in spirits than they do the natural. There's actually some uh, denominations here in the United States that believe that. They even got to believe in it to such a degree that they no longer believed in sin. They, they did not believe in hell because of their belief system. And it was inter, very intricate and uh, very comprehensive in a lot of ways. And we'll not go into that. Other than to say people that believe the spiritualistic viewpoint, totality, that's all they believe about reality. They are in error just as much as the people on the other side that only believe the material is it. Now, here's what we're suggesting. The best Biblical worldview is one that recognizes the place of both, both the material and the spiritual, in their proper perspective. That is the best worldview that you can possibly have. Why why do we say that? Well, I suggest to you that every one of you used your five senses today already lots of times. And there was nothing wrong with that. All right? You know, when you got up and looked in the mirror this morning, you didn't just say, okay, let me see, what do I feel like today? You actually saw something looking back at you in the mirror, right? You 
used your five senses to put your clothes on, get something to eat, drive or ride in a car to get here. You used your five senses to get out of your car, walk through the parking lot, come in the door, find yourself a seat. So there's nothing wrong with the five senses when used in the correct way. But you can't use the five senses to find God. They are good for what they were made for, but they're not good for what they weren't made for. And so when we try to limit God to what the five senses can tell us, we got a small vision. On the other hand, let's look at the the spiritual worldview. You, if you do not believe that God is spirit, John 4.24, if you do not believe that angelic or or, or godly beings, that's Hebrews 1.13, If you do not believe that human beings are spirits at your very core, that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. If you do not believe those scriptures, then you are cutting out that part of God's revelation that could be yours. So you are a spirit. God is a spirit. The angels are spirits. And you got the Holy Spirit. That's four types of spirit beings. And then you got demon spirits. Okay, Now, there are those who would say, well, I can believe that God is a spirit, because the Bible says He is. I can believe the Holy Spirit is spirit. I can believe there are actually angels, although they don't have much to do with us anymore. Uh, But I, I don't know about demons. Well, listen, demons are spirits too, but they're not the good type. They're the bad type. But they exist. And people that no longer believe they exist, you know what that allows the enemy to do? Hide in that ignorance and influence actions by people. So to have a biblical worldview, the best you can have is to recognize there's a place for the natural, there's a place for the spiritual. And God works from within the spirit realm to positively affect what is going on in what we call natural realm. Now, how is our worldview formed? I want to look at that for for a little bit. The number one place that we get our worldview is predominantly, or at least it has been, this is changing, but predominantly from the family. Most of us are raised in some type of a family. I don't know anybody that was self-generated. We've got some sort of a family. All right? Good or bad, we've in some type of a family setting. And that family setting has affected our worldview, the way we see things. Good or bad. The story goes, a 12-year-old girl was, uh, this was back in the day when people baked their own bread at home, all right? I understand a lot of people don't do that anymore, but this was back in that day. And this 12-year-old girl was watching her mother take a loaf of bread out of the oven, let it cool, and then she dumps it out of the bread pan, and she takes her knife and she slices off the end of both of them. So she says, Mom, why do you do that? She said, I don't know. That's the way my mother did it. 
She said, why don't you ask mom next time she's here? So the next time the mother was, her mother was there, the little girl goes to her and says, Grandma, when you make bread, why do you, you know, cut off the ends of the loaf and dispose of them? She said, I don't know. My mother did that. So finally, Grandma, who's quite elderly at this time, was at their house and the little girl goes and says, Grandma, why do you cut the ends of the loaf of bread off when you bake bread? She said, I don't know. Mama did it that way. And the little girl said, well, the way you make bread is after you bake it, you cut off the ends and throw it away. Right? Because that's all she had known about for four generations. That's how you make bread presentable to put on the table. Lots of things like that affect our life. Some are much more important than cutting off the ends of a loaf of bread. But we pick it up at home. It's the place you learn. Debbie homeschooled our youngest son, Paul, for about two and a half years, from the middle of the eighth grade through the tenth grade. And there were things in the, in the curriculum that was used about, you know, in, in, incorporating the child into normal activities. For example... Taking him with her to the grocery store was a learning process for him. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do that are just normal things that can be learning processes. And you know what, folks? They are whether we intend for them to be or not. And the things that are learned, good or bad establish that child or that person's worldview. And it increases all the time. I was raised on a farm. My dad was a good Christian man, but he chewed tobacco. We raised it, he liked it, and he chewed it. All right? I was about eight years old. And I remember seeing my dad, after the tobacco was put in the barn and as it was curing, We'd be hanging in the barn. He'd go in and he'd find him a leaf. And he'd pull him off a leaf. Tear one half of it off. Put it in his mouth. Tear the other half off. Put it in his pocket and throw the stem away. And he he acted like that was so good. (laughs) I remember him doing that time and time again. And he would, you know, spit the juice out. And it seemed like he was enjoying it. One day I was eight years old. And I thought, man, if he likes it, I'm going to try that. I go into the barn, I pull me a leaf off, I pulled off half the leaf, stuck it in my mouth, pulled the other half in my pocket, threw the stem away like I saw him do. I did one thing wrong. I swallowed the juice. There have been a few times in my life that I've been sick, but I've never been as sick as I was for three days after that. My parents said I actually turned green. I was so sick. Did you know to this day, I have never been tempted to ever chew tobacco ever again. I wanted, I I did not say this to my father. However, I wanted to say to him that you led me down the wrong path. I wouldn't dare say it, but that, I had that thought while I was laying there sick. 
Because it looked like it was, he got so much pleasure out of doing that. But I learned not to do it when I saw the effect it had on me, right? My point is, you learn a lot of things, see a lot of things, and it affects your worldview by the home you live. Secondly, the church you're in. Hopefully, it's a more positive viewpoint that you get at church. But sometimes it may happen to be negative when you see things happen in people's lives and you say, just like me, I never want to do that. Because I see what that did to them. I want to avoid that. Just like I want to avoid chewing tobacco. Right? So you learn things at church. Another thing is in the educational system. Hello, school teachers, hang on. Even in... Christian schools, you can learn some things that are good, and you can pick up some things that are not good. You can do it in the public school system as well. But the school system, and biblical education, if you go to Bible college or some type of Bible classes or whatever, you can fashion a worldview based on that. And another one is culture. Culture affects our worldview. And many times for bad as opposed to for good. Media is another one. And this is a biggie in our day. Increasingly so. Well, because I tell you, if Facebook said it, it has to be true. Right? If somebody posted it on Instagram or, or some of these other methods, it's got to be true, Right? Sure, right, yeah. No, it doesn't. But you know, that has a lot of effect. TV advertising. Magazine advertising. Not long ago, I was at a place, a barbershop to get my hair cut. It takes about three minutes to cut mine. But the guy in front of me, he had a lot of hair and it was taking longer. So they had some magazines there and I picked up one and I was thumbing through it. And it was a magazine about yay thick. And it had beautiful colored slick photography pictures in it. So I'm thumbing through there. Waiting to him to get done. I went through 57 pages that were nothing but advertisement. So a lot of trees were were wasted for that. But you know, they know that when people see those pictures, I would like to look like he does or she does, or I would like to have my hair this particular way. And that, I mean, all of that stuff is fashioning you. Every bit of it is. The music you listen to fashions your worldview. Whether it's Christian music or secular, it is fashioning worldview. See, a lot of times we aren't aware of some of these things and how they happen. Do you know the Israelites were down in Egypt for about 400 plus years? God sent his deliverer, Moses, down to bring them out. And it took about, you know, a little while to get them through the Red Sea into the wilderness. And then it took them 40 years to get through the wilderness and then cross the Jordan and get into the promised land. But after 40 or so years, he had them completely out of Egypt and its influence over them. 
but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. They still fought like they did while they were down in Egypt, the land of Egypt. You and I, because of Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior, we've been delivered out of our Egypt. But too often we're still thinking like Egyptians. That's why he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Culture. Culture. Media. And all those things. Are things that we need to change into a more biblical worldview. How can we do that? How to change our worldview? The best implement to use is the Word of God. Matthew chapter 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will by no means pass away. Do you know all the advertising that's out there? It's temporary. All the products this world offers is temporary. If I can put it this way, someday it's all going to burn. If your five senses can tell you about it, someday or other, it's all going to burn. Do you know your car's not going to heaven with you? Yeah, Kevin. Oh. Your car is not going to heaven with you. Your house is not going. Your clothes are not going. Your jewelry is not going. None of that's going. You know why? Because it's all temporary. It's all temporary. So we need to change our worldview to fit God's plan and purpose. And his view of things. Put the emphasis on the eternal. Now, if you and I get our worldview more biblically oriented, won't there be some natural, physical? Of course there will be. Like I said earlier, there's times and places for all of the natural things. But that has to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. All of these things have to be in their proper perspective. Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Jesus said in Mark 7, 21 to 23, what proceeds out of a man, that defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. What are we saying? We have to be changed from the inside out. All right? And that begins, certainly, by making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And then proceed to renew the mind accordingly. So that it doesn't revert back to all the things that you used to consume. I've said this here before, but it fits here well. Some of you may not know that in my Bible college days, I, had to, I worked at various jobs to put myself in Bible college. And one of my jobs for about four or five months was at a country music station. 
Now, if you only know me from the Sunday morning church, that probably comes as a surprise. I used to spin records back in the 60s. (laughs) In a country music station. And now here's Johnny Cash singing Folsom City Blues or something. Now, I have tried and tried and tried to forget much of that. (laughs) But every once in a while, I happen to be in some place of business where they have some music playing, and invariably, there'll be somebody singing something that I used to play on the radio when I was a DJ. And then, you know what happens immediately? All those words come back, and I remember the words. I thought, I don't want that. I don't care if you lost your dog and your pickup truck broke down. But it's amazing how that things get in here, right? I bet some of you, if you hear a little jingle or an advertisement that you've heard and you hear it again, suddenly it just all pops right back and you can remember every bit of it, right? Now, is that all bad? No, no, it's not. My point is, it's in there. It's just in there. And some of those things we need to flush out of there by renewing the mind with the promises of the Word of God. Paul said in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, long passage, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. See, Paul was dealing with Christians. He's writing this to the saints in Ephesus. Something similar to the churches in the Corinth area. And in Galatia and some of these other places. Very similar to this. He said they were Christians. Probably spirit filled. And he said you should no longer walk or live like the rest of the Gentiles do. In the futility of your mind having your understanding darkened. In other words they needed a better worldview. And I submit that if they needed it in Paul's day. We need it in our day. That's right. Did you know when a crisis arises and you have to respond in the spur of the moment, that reveals what's on the inside? When you have to respond without having the time to sit down and think about it, all the pros and cons and ins and outs, and you just have to respond. That reveals what we got on the inside. Understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all in cleanness with greediness. He's addressing this to Christians, folks. We might say, well, boy, they're not very spiritual if they are Christians. But don't be too hard on them because it may apply to some of us. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and been taught by Him, 
as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former contact, the old man who grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So they had some things to put off. Behaviors, yes. But you know, behaviors go beyond just the action itself. Behaviors go beyond just the action itself. There's a foundation to it someplace. And too often, it's in the way we, the way we see things. It comes from within, out of the heart. So he said, put off that, your former conduct, which grows increasingly corrupt. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we need to do some putting off and some putting on. And part of that process is renewing our mind. Well, how do you do it? Guess what? You need to read the Bible. Read the Bible. Several years ago, this was back in the 80s at some point, when the Praise the Lord Club out of Charlotte, North Carolina, was on TV, I happened to be watching one day, and they were interviewing somebody, and he was talking about, you know, reading Scripture and and things related to it. And Tammy Faye Baker, who is now deceased, but she piped up and said, well, you know, I just recently realized that it's been over three weeks since I've read any of the Bible. And I think my chin, probably my triple chin at that time, hit my (laughs) chest. What? It's been three weeks since you read the Bible. Dear Lord. How about you go without eating for three weeks? Of course, for some of us, that wouldn't be a bad thing, probably. But, you know why? Because the Word of God feeds your spirit. It feeds your spirit. If you don't eat physically, you're going to eventually die. If you don't eat spiritually, you're going to be ineffective in becoming like Jesus. All right? So, we have to read the Bible. How much should I read? I don't know. How much time have you got? What can you replace in your life with the Word of God? What can you replace? One guy several years ago talked about he had a long drive every day to work. And this was in the day when cassette tapes were popular. And you could get the Bible on cassette tapes. This is before CDs. And uh, I said, well, you have a cassette player in your car? And he said, yes. And I said, well, get you the Bible on cassette and plug that in. Listen to the New Testament over and over and over again. Oh, he said, that's a good idea. I said, I thought so. So it wasn't long after that one day he, he was talking to me about a, a problem. So I said to him, have you been doing what I suggested before? And he said, no. 
I said, well, come back and talk to me after you do that. And you know, he got the idea that I really meant it then. You know why? Because you can. You can listen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You listen to the Word of God, particularly the New Testament promises of the Word of God, and it builds faith up. And that will change your life. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. That's why it's Important to be built up in the Word of God. So you need to read or listen to the Word of God. Secondly, you need to meditate on it. So what does that mean? That means to think about it. That means to roll it over and over in your understanding. Listen to it. Think about it. Personalize it. Particularly if there's a promise in that passage. Personalize it. Make it. You. In other words, put yourself in the passage. If it says in him or in whom, and it makes a promise like in the epistles, say, I am in him and he is my righteousness. Greater is he that is in me, Carol, than that which is in the world. Personalize it. Faith comes by hearing. And the best way it comes is hearing it come out of your mouth. Not just into the ear gate, but out through the mouth. Read it. Meditate in it. Personalize it. Declare it. Declare it as a reality. We are told in the model prayer on how to pray in the book of Matthew chapter 6. One of the things to pray for is to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we've looked at that and said, well, I need to pray that, you know, frequently. Lord, let your kingdom come. I believe there's even more to it than that. I believe it's not just a phrase in a prayer of asking God for his kingdom. I believe the kingdom is already present. John preached it. Jesus preached it. Paul preached it. The New Testament is about it. So I don't think we have to ask for the kingdom. I think we declare the reality of the kingdom. And that's looking at it differently. Lord, I thank you that your kingdom has come. I thank you that your kingdom is going to be active in my life today. I thank you that your kingdom is going to manifest itself in every person and family that's related to New Life Church. It has come. It is here. But we are going to see it activated in us. Declare it. Declare what the promises of the Word say. You never have to beg God to do anything He's already promised to do. You know, you just declare what He's promised to do as a present reality. Look at Jesus when He prayed for people or ministered to people. I figure the best example to follow would be Him. Would you agree with me? That's probably the best example to follow is Jesus. And find me a place where he ever begged the Father for anything. Never did it. Do you know sometimes he ministered healing and deliverance to people and never even prayed for them? Sometimes he said, well, just go your way. And as they went their way, they were healed. Sometimes he cast out demons, didn't lay hands on them, 
didn't do anything like that. Merely spoke. He declared it done. So I'm saying, declare the Word of God. Declare its promises. After you've personalized them, declare them as a reality. And we have to start thinking that way. I go to pastors' prayer meetings every month. And this, this prayer group is made up of people from a lot of different churches and backgrounds. So sometimes as, as somebody is, is leading in prayer, and you know, uh, the rest of us are waiting for him to get through praying, and then somebody else is going to pray for something. Somebody else is going to pray for something. And so while you're listening to each other pray over things, one day I was sitting there listening, and I'm thinking, why don't we just quit begging God? And just declare what he's already said. Give you an example. One guy was praying one day, and he was praying for somebody that he knew. And he was praying like this. Oh God, I beseech you to give your grace to them. They need a measure of your grace. Oh God, would you give grace to them? Oh God, would you give grace to them? And I'm thinking, this stop. He's already given his grace. He's never going to give any more grace than what He's already given. Now, a better way to pray would be, Father, I declare Your grace that You've already given is surrounding them today. I dec- Psalm 5, what is that? 12, I believe, says that. That Your grace is surrounding them. Your grace is upon their life. On the physical need they have, the financial, whatever they need. Your grace is being manifest to them today. That would be a more biblical way to say that. Right? Because he's never going to give any more. Folks, he's given all the grace he's going to give. He's given all the mercy he's going to give. He's never going back to the cross. When he said it's finished, folks, it was finished. He's done it already. If he promised it, he's done it. And you never have to beg him to do what he's already promised to do. You just merely have to believe and declare it. Believe and declare it. And as you do that, what you're doing is you're renewing your mind. You're thinking differently. Now, say, well, am I finally going to get to the point where I never miss it on anything? Not this side of the resurrection. Oh, yeah. All of us are still working on things. All of us are still working on ideas of getting our minds more perfectly renewed. Don't feel condemned if you have to, when you realize, "Uh uh-oh, I shouldn't have put it like that. That's right. Now just say it right next time. Okay? You know, proclaim it correctly. But we're all still working on that. We're all still trying. I've caught myself on lots of times saying something that was, that I, I knew when I said it. I don't know, maybe I said it to be funny or something. Then later I realized, you know, I, I, I really shouldn't have said it like that. And I thought, I should know better than that. I'm disappointed in myself. I didn't do it better than that. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Next time I talk about that, I'm going to say it right. See? So if you goof up, correct it. Correct it. Declare it more biblical. The more biblically our worldview is, the more powerful the presence of God will be revealed. The more powerful healings will come. The more powerful deliverance from demons will happen. 
the more powerful God's presence will be in the family, in the home. The more powerful the corporate anointing will be when the church gathers together as one. Because Acts chapter 2. And they were all with one accord in one place. And there was a sound from heaven. Are you here? The accord wasn't a Honda product. The accord was they were all together in agreement, waiting with faith and expectation. They'd been declaring things for a number of days. And there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there were tongues of fire that were set upon each of them. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what happened? It was noised abroad through the whole city, the whole region. Seventeen different nationalities of Jews were present. Seventeen different languages. And they all heard them in their own dialect. Wow! say, well, that was a one-time experience. In one sense, yes. But in another sense, no. Because you and I can do exactly the same thing. Father, today I pray for every one of us. I pray, O Lord, that we will make a concerted effort to renew our minds according to Your Word so that our worldview can change. So that we can see things the way you see them. So that we can know you more intimately. So that we can be in your will fully expressing everything that you want done. Father, I thank you for that. And I praise you for it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I give you praise. I give you praise. Lord, I give you praise. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us areas that we need to work on? Some of the major areas that we need to work on better than ever before. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit, to recognize your voice. Help us to be more obedient to your word. <laughs> 